Can you please stop bothering my kid? Sorry. Arthur, I have some bad news for you. <laughs> this is the last time we'll be meeting. You don't listen, do you? You just ask the same questions every week. How's your job? Are you having any negative thoughts? All I have are negative thoughts. And finally, in a world where everyone thinks they could do my job, check out this guy. When I was a little boy and told people I was going to be a comedian, everyone laughed at me. Well, no one's laughing now. You can say that again, pal. For my whole life, I didn't know if I even really existed, but I do. And people are starting to notice. You think this is funny? Is this a joke to you? Murray, one small thing. Yeah. When you bring me out, can you introduce me as Joker? Podcast. This is the DC Universe Podcast, where we discuss the DC Extended Universe movies and TV shows. Yeah, we're all big fans of what DC Comics is doing in the big and small screen, so we want to make sure we talk all about it. So thanks for joining us tonight. Let's get started. My name is Tim. And I'm Scott, and we are the Suicide Squadcast with a review. <laughs> yes, another movie review. How about that? Ah, yes. And I got to say, this one is going to be quite a bit different than our last one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the last one being The Kitchen. <laughs> Whoa. Wow. Yeah. Could, uh, yes. They couldn't be any different, any more different than this. Um, yeah, I'm I'm so ready. I'm so ready for tonight. If this is any indication of how this review is going to go. Yeah. I cannot wait. I almost was like, Tim, are you home yet? I was almost ready to go ahead and record last night. I was oh, like, last night? No, I didn't. I I had an hour drive. I didn't care. It was like, no, no, you, 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 can, you can. But it was kind of funny because I feel like you, Ray, and I all got out of the movie like at the same time. It seemed like it. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, because we uh, had a group text, and we oh. were all talking about how we just got out. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Well, other than that text, we haven't really talked much about it. Like, a couple, oh, no, a couple I, straight comments, that's it. No, we we've, we've, we have, as, as, as is typical with our reviews, we avoid talking to each other. Yes. So that we can experience each other's opinions live on air. Yeah, so, that is true. All right. So before we get to that, let's, of course, remind everyone that we are members of the Suicide Squadcast Network. That does include DC Comics Squadcast with Chris and Jordan. Fans Without Borders with Britt and Ray, and DC TV Squadcast with Ray and whichever one of us clowns decides to be on the episode for that week, which at this point is just Jordan, because you're done now. I'm done. Yep. Yeah, so it's Ray and Jordan. And we're going to be kicking in here, uh, how many weeks from now? I think two weeks? Two weeks? Two weeks? Something like that. I think, because I think think it's official. I mean, I'm not sure. Have we announced it officially yet? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I can't remember. Yeah, we've, we've talked about it. Yeah. We've talked about it, but yeah, Tim and I... I will will both be joining Ray to discuss HBO's Watchmen series. Yes, Suicide Squad cast taking over another show. <laughs> yes, wait, wait, it's ours anyway. What are you talking? <laughs> How can you take over Shh, something that's already yours? They don't know that. Shh, they should. <laughs> no, it's it's their show, but we're going to be a guest on it, so it's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait to I can't wait to watch Watchmen. I know, I know. And then of course we want to take this opportunity before we get started to thank all of our patrons over at Patreon. We really do appreciate the financial support that you provide for this network over at patreon.com slash squadcast media and we hope that you're enjoying all the additional content we provide as a thank you for that financial support i do know that tim and i recorded a couple of it's been a while but tim and i yeah. recorded a couple of conversations that when he has an opportunity i know that he's going to be editing and putting up there yep. we kind of did a we kind of did our thoughts uh and our anticipation about C- crisis on infinite earths on the cw and also kind of a retrospective of our first 30 reviews of uh, Squawcast movies. Yep. So you'll be looking for that in your feeds. And I'm sure at some point you soon you'll be dropping that Punisher review. Yes, yes. Yeah, I just haven't had the time uh, this past week, but I will have plenty of time this upcoming week. So that's, that's just a small things we do to say thank you. So once again, if you feel like that you can support us, uh, head on over to Patreon. And it's the $5 a month that gets you all that additional content. Absolutely. All right, Scott. That's enough of the pleasantries, I would say. Oh. Oh, oh, I did put on a happy face. This <laughs> this is my happy face. Yeah. Oh, man. This was Uh-oh. quite a film. <laughs> okay. So this is your spoiler warning. Yes. We are going to talk all about Todd Phillips' Joker starring Joaquin Phoenix that opened in previews as uh, last night as of this recording. We both went and saw a Thursday preview. Yes. It's Friday night. We're recording our thoughts. We both already want to go see the movie. <laughs> Again. Well, we both talked about how we would love to have seen the film a second time before doing this review, but we're just not able to. And no. uh, uh, it, that's fine. We'll, we'll work on our one viewing at this point. God, and this movie needs multiple viewings. I it sw- needs multiple. And and I want multiple. It's yes. it's not it's not that I have to have multiple viewings just to kind of understand it. It's like... I want multiple viewings. I, I understood it perfectly fine. I mean, there's there's obviously some mystery elements of this that are going to remain are going to be and are going to be heavily debated. I'm sure for years to come, but uh, it, it just taking it in the first time and just taking the story for what it is without trying to sort through all the different um, like elements and and ideas about what might be real, what might not be real, that kind of thing. That is the biggest. That's the big debate. <laughs> Aside from all that, all I'm going to say is like the performance is just amazing 
throughout this entire film. So oh, my, yes, I I my theater was practically full for a seven o'clock on a Thursday night. I was shocked to be honest with you. I haven't been to a full movie theater like that in a while. Yeah, mine was not full. It was probably it was probably close to two thirds full for an IMAX, and it's and this is a really big theater, this IMAX theater. So um, it was probably about yeah close to two thirds. I would say. Uh, I would say every seat was. You know how there's always those seats right right there like neck breaking right in front of the screen. Yeah. Those were the only ones empty. Everything in the actual stadium sitting, you know, a, a butt was in every seat. Okay. And I was surprised by I'm going to be honest, I was surprised by the positive reaction I heard walking out of the theater. You know, as you're walking by people and you're hearing, like I heard a lot of people already saying, "Yep, <laughs> that guy just beat Heath Ledger for me." Yeah. Well, and and at the end of the film, uh, you know, as soon as it went to the credits, there were like some people that started to clap like they wanted to clap and then they kind of like thought mm, maybe I shouldn't clap <laughs> it was kind of funny it was it was quite reserved yeah I had applause I had I had I had a I had a section of, of moviegoers who, who applauded at my theater as well and of course then I had some people who were sitting around waiting for an end credit scene I'm like no no <laughs> you were in the wrong movie for no. that yeah yeah it was uh it, it was so interesting like it was people were speechless at the end of my it, it, like in my crowd people were speechless and then after you know and I sat through the credits just to kind of take in the soundtrack and all that and then at the end when um the film ended and the lights came on there's a, a group of guys behind me and they were just like raving about the film and they were just like giddy over it and how they're talking about how they're going to go see it again in like 20 minutes so i i wanted to i wanted <laughs> I to because I, I i actually had bought a ticket for the seven o'clock and for the 10 o'clock only because i didn't know if my wife was going to let me go to the seven o'clock and there was a part of me that was like i could keep this ticket because i literally bought the two tickets for the same seat at two different uh. showings so i was like i could literally just stay in the seat I'm sitting in yeah. and watch this again but no I have to go to work tomorrow yeah I, damn it it kind of crossed my mind but like you know it's today for me at work was such a big day uh, for the project I'm working on so it's like I, I can't I just couldn't I stay can't. It would have. I, I would have gotten home so late okay I am blown away by this movie yeah. I watched the movie in various states of discomfort because of the <laughs> things that I was watching yeah. and in and discomfort in a way that the movie wants me to be uncomfortable with what I'm watching on screen. Like, that's the feeling the movie is going for. And I was mesmerized. I think the only thing that made me uncomfortable was like some of the people I was sitting with. I mean, just complete strangers for the most part. I, I was kind of worried what everyone else was thinking. Like, because I was loving what I was watching. And I was just really kind of worried about, wow, there's a lot of people here. Um, Do, do you understand what kind of movie you're about to watch? <laughs> and I actually think for the most part, the people that at least I kind of ran into of course I when the movie was over I tried to leave and avoid I, I knew like three guys sitting in front of me and I like didn't talk to them because I was like I, I don't want anyone else's thoughts in my head right now I want to <laughs> right. I want to get in the car and process what I just watched yeah yeah Joaquin Phoenix is amazing I, I'm going to start there absolutely amazing absolutely amazing I, I'm, 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 I mean I know that feels kind of like well no no S Sherlock that it's, it's Joaquin Phoenix but still I mean the first time it really hit me that I was just like, oh dear God, what's about to happen? Is that scene in Hoyt's office when he's getting fired and the camera just stays on him while Hoyt's talking? And yeah. I'm just like, what are you, what are you what are you going to do? What, yeah, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And you just watch him like keep that smile on his face. <laughs> yeah. And, and and I just like, oh God, what are you, what are you going to do? And then do anything. And then I was just kind of like, oh. 
And that's what the movie did so well was until it just went off the rails towards the end, there was just so much of the tension, the tension, the tension, and then it would release the tension without something happening. Yeah. And then you were like, oh, God. <laughs> and then that almost made you even more tense because yes. you're like, okay, this isn't what's going to happen. <laughs> um, it's, oh, God. So when is he going to blow? Oh, man. Joaquin's performance, the 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 best way I was able to describe it, like I, I think I put my first thoughts out there on Twitter, like after the film, it, it was such a memorable and special performance. I described it as this is a generational performance. I put this up there with some of the great performances, some of the greatest performances I've ever seen. I mean, you talk about like a like a Marlon Brando in Godfather. You know, you, you take something like Daniel Day Lewis in There Will Be Blood. I mean, these are you know these are performances performances that when you see it you know you just saw something incredible yes and yes. and that's what i saw here i mean like 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 anthony hopkins in silence of the lambs would be another one yes you know yes, these are these are ones like when you see these performances you're like oh my gosh i just saw something that is people just, are going to be talking about they're going to be talking about it's just so above and beyond uh, in terms of like just being a simply great great performance that's what this thing was it, it, i i I can't even explain to you how difficult some of the stuff that Joaquin Phoenix had to do in this film to to pull off the performance that he did. And I'm not talking about the physical things that he did, because, I mean, obviously we know he lost, what, 55 pounds? 53, yeah, 53 pounds, yeah. Yeah, he lost 53 pounds, basically torturing his body to get to that, like, super emaciated, you know, very thin, um, you know, which you, you got to see on great display <laughs> in here, just how emaciated he was. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, like... Being able to pull off these uncomfortable laughs and these uncomfortable moments where he's trying to prevent himself from laughing and and he's fighting it back and then the awkward laughs and then just the the things that he did with his face to kind of show off his his social awkwardness and then like and as you began to see throughout this film you see him transform and you see him start to get his his uh you know his confidence and you get he gets a little bit of a, a more of like a spring to his step kind of thing. And it's done so artfully throughout this film. Oh, it's such, it was just such a joy to watch him. Well, I know it's kind of hard. It it feels awkward to say it was a joy to watch. (laughs) I'm talking about a performance. I know, but still the performance was just one where it was, this is definitely, this is definitely a performance that you're like, I'm questioning while I'm watching this movie. I know the filmmakers have said, you're not supposed to root for him in this movie, or you're going to empathize with him until you don't right (laughs) but the movie really does force you to like dive deep into yourself and go how are you wanting me to view him in this movie (laughs) yeah and i found myself i knew where i personally stood but i found myself looking at the film going are we wow (laughs) i I can see someone who doesn't have their head screwed on straight misunderstanding and misinterpreting what is being presented in front of them i saw the possibility for that yeah but the movie i think the movie almost dares you to do that and then step back and go oh wait no 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 that's not right yeah and i just and 
and and this is this is the Joaquin Phoenix show. I mean, absolutely. I mean, that. I mean, this is why Todd Phillips. You know, if you go by everything he was saying about how he was envisioning this character being played, like he always was, it was picturing that Joaquin Phoenix was going to be the person to do this. And I mean, and there's a reason why, because like not too many people could really truly pull this thing off the way he did. And I, I couldn't even imagine anyone else trying to do this role at this point. And and I'm just talking about the role in this film. Mm-hmm. And I want to make that clear. Like, I absolutely love what Heath Ledger did. I still do. That That's never, ever going to change, even with this film. It's But to, to do what he was asked to do in this film. To play the version of the character that is depicted in this film. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's going to be a lot of our response in this yeah. review tonight. It's just kind of like, I mean, and there were moments that, you know, they talked about in all the lead ups and all the interviews that we read, you know, how much of the script changed and how much improv. And there were moments that I really just want to go, is this Joaquin? Like, you know, a scene that really stuck with me that was just pure performance. And, and that's what got me. It were scenes that were pure performance, no dialogue. The man's not saying a thing. You're just watching him on screen. And he had so many opportunities and so many scenes where you were just left in the... You weren't given dialogue. You were just given the image you were watching on screen. And the scene right before he gets the call from the Murray Franklin show where he pulls all the trays out of the refrigerator and then I I thought locked himself in the fridge. And and I'm still wondering how he got out. But it's but just that that idea of he folds himself into the refrigerator and then, and then the camera stays there for like like almost a minute <laughs> feels like and it. he's just and, and he's just in the fridge and i'm just i'm just like <laughs> he is not right individual yeah and i and it was those moments yeah it was those moments where i'm just left watching a very very ill individual spiral downward right right there were so many moments throughout this film i mean j- just even a scene when um when he's writing in his book he starts off with the right hand then he switches to his left just even that scene, the way it was filmed and the way he his body language was, I mean, that one was just great. Uh, so many scenes throughout this thing. The whole thing when he's in the apartment with, and I don't know if I ever caught what her name was, but Zazie Beetz's character. You know what? I don't think they ever said what her ca- name of her character was in the movie, but her but her name showed up in the credits at the end. Yeah, I did see that, and I can't remember what that one was, but I can't we'll, remember either. We'll just say we'll just say his neighbor when he was in that apartment. What an uncomfortable scene, <laughs> and. And we still don't even know like what happened. We don't know definitively. I have my theories, and that's the thing. The movie, yes, the movie gives you so many times where it's like we're just gonna leave it to your imagination <laughs> what happened. Yeah, and I think that those are the types of storytelling devices. Those are the types of scene that I think make a film more powerful because then you're left going, "You think? Yeah, what do you think happened?" And I know what I think happened. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that now, or you want to punt that one down? Uh, I want to punt that one down. Yeah, I don't. Like we're there yet? No, I don't think. I feel there. like okay. I feel like there there should be an entire segment of this review where we just talk about the questions that we have yeah. after watching this movie. Uh, but a- another scene like that would be the bathroom scene after he shoots the three Wayne Financial guys yeah. in the subway car, and he's doing that. Some people have described it as a dance. It almost looked like he was doing some sort of meditative tai chi to kind of like center himself after that moment, because that's what's going on. Is he kind of finds his 
calm. He finds his zen right. after that moment. Yeah. It was like a freeing moment for him. Right. It was it was like where he finally fought back against all the crap that this world has given him. And and that's where he kind of like realized like this is, you know, this was something that he with his condition, you know, it was something that worked for him. Which is just which is just disturbing. It's, its... Which is very demented, very disturbing and demented. Yeah. But but that's I mean, that's the story we're telling, right? I mean, that's what this is. Yes, it is. And I, I feel like the, the, that also leads to, I think, some very confused or dishonest narratives that can get out about this movie. Yeah. Because I think people try to boilerplate it down and make it too simplistic. And it's like, I don't, there's nothing in this movie that's that simplistic. No. And if, and if you think it's that simplistic, I think that's more a statement on you than it is on the movie. Yeah. And the other thing, too, can I say this? Like, all the stuff we were hearing kind of leading up to this film, all the hyperbolic BS, like this BS about like, oh my gosh, what this is going to be teaching about violence or, you know, saying about violence and this and that. And my God, this was so much less than people were making it out to be. Well, I was, well, what I wanted to talk about was like people, when people were just talking about the, the violence depicted in the movie, I'm like one scene, two scenes of actual violence shown on screen that I closed my eyes or turned away for. That was it. It, it, it's more the implied nature of his actions or the connotations of what he's going to, what this could lead to is what's disturbing. The actual on-screen violence is really relegated to two or three scenes scattered throughout the movie. Yeah. And so I felt like that was even hyperbolic. Like I felt like people were emphasizing that way too much when it's, it's not what the movie is. It's not what the movie's about. No. And it, it, but yet to hear people talk about it, you would think that the movie was just was just wall to wall with this dark, gritty, disturbing violence throughout. And it's like no, there's like two two mo- two instances in the entire film. It's yeah. just the disturbing psychological nature of the implications of what he's doing. Yeah, that I almost feel like people made up. Uh, I, I'm I'm not gonna say people are lying, but I think because the movie can make you start spinning about what you're watching I wonder if some people walked out with this false sense of how much of it there actually was in the movie because of how much the movie kind of leads up leaves up to you to look at and and question and, and and fret over yeah you know how many people did Joker kill in this film that we saw on screen and and there's only a question of you know one or two other that were left open for debate off screen right you know how many it was um I, it was six six okay uh okay on screen hold on I, I was kind of I can remember five so I'm trying to remember the six the, the three in the subway the three the three wave the, the three Wall Street guys yep his mother the oh that's who I forgot his mom yes his mother Whoa. yeah mm. Yeah. I saw that coming. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, actually, I think every single, I, I think it's pretty fair to say every single murder that Joker committed here, you could see coming. You knew was coming. You knew was coming. Right. And that's what added to the tension and the, it wasn't a, if he's going to do it, it was more of a, when is he going to do it? Right. And and that's where I thought the suspense was so palpable is because you're like, oh God, oh God. Especially by the time we get to Murray Franklin, I'm just like, oh God, when's he going to shoot him? When's he going to? 
when's he gonna when's he gonna shoot him? Yeah. Oh and, man. Well, uh, so I, I the reason I brought that up because I, I wanted to I wanted to put this out there and compare it to the other Joker appearances that we've had in film. Uh, 1989's Batman, he killed around 50 people in that film, Joker. Okay. And then in The Dark Knight, he killed around 23 people. So he killed six people in this film. Personally, yeah. Personally, yeah. and even even incidental. I guess we're talking about the one guy that accidentally got shot on the train. That was the only other one, I think, right? Other than you know what may be happening during these riots, we have no idea. Right. Which then, of course, can count. You know, the Waynes and uh, incidental. Incidental. Like he, he right. personally had nothing to do with that. No. Yeah. It, but I think the point is, and I think that's another deeper theme is the is that mob mentality that gets inspired by him. Right. Like you know, he he lights a match. He is the match that lights the fuse of a situation that they set up from from the very first scene of the movie, and it's basically he just gives. It really depends on how you view the movie. It, does he give an excuse for you know what's already boiling under the surface, and he just kind of becomes the release valve for the feelings and the tension of the society? Yeah, because that's because that then becomes a question of do you find that justifiable? Do you root for that? I'm gonna be honest. I was sitting. I was sitting with some people in the theater that I wanted to look at you and go, I think you need to check your priority. <laughs> I mean, I had some people laughing at moments in this movie that I'm just like, are you mature? Are you a mature human being? Are you okay? Like, there were some people that, you know, I think there was a joke. I was talking to somebody that I know from, like, my comic book in, you know, in some local, the local geek circles, and I think he said he read a review that said, you should not watch this movie if you're under the age of 25. <laughs> you're just not ready for what you're about to watch. Possibly, yeah. And I've, I've actually felt that with some, with literally, with a, I, I got two yahoos, one sitting to my left and one sitting to my right, that I was just like, I don't think you're mature enough to watch this film, to be honest with yeah. because of the way they were reacting to some things, because I'm watching effectively a horror movie on screen. Yeah. I didn't hear anything like that at all. Oh, I wish I could have been in your theater then. Everybody in my theater that I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't hear anybody laughing at inappropriate times. Like people were just in awe with this film. That's basically what I saw. I wish I had that because yeah. I, I wanted to punch the two yahoos directly to my left and right <laughs> because I just, I was, I, I was disturbed by what I was watching, which from everything that we've read leading up to it's like the reaction they were going for. Right, right. Well, and that's the thing too. Like that's the thing about, you know, when you, when you picture these murders and violence in films and all that, usually it's, it's kind of cartoonish, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or it's some sort of, or there's some cathartic nature to it because the people who are getting killed, I mean, even the, even the people in this movie who got killed that you could say, quote, had it coming. I didn't feel good about that either. Like no. this, this movie eliminated that sense of when you watch an action movie or a comic movie and you see the violence and, you know, let's, let's take, for instance, the Martha rescue from Batman v Superman. I'm going to admit, I love watching Batman beat the absolute tar out of all those goons. I mean, yeah. I, I get a sick cathartic feeling out of watching all of, of watching that kind of violence. But this violence is, even if I thought they quote, had it coming, I still didn't like, I still saw it as wrong. I still saw it as that as much as they quote had it coming as much as they are not good people it was I still had that that human feeling of but you shouldn't do that to them as much as you want to do that to them and and the and the movie did a wonderful job of saying yes some of these people are terrible awful people but do they deserve is this justice is this right to do this I think the movie's saying no based on the way I felt watching yeah because of the because 
because of who it presented as the agent doling out that, quote, justice or that, quote, vengeance. And I feel like if you're watching this movie in a certain frame of mind, the point is supposed to be maybe in a different movie you'd rah-rah this, but then you're supposed to realize, well, wait a minute, if I'm rah-rahing this, then I'm then I'm with this guy, and the movie's trying to tell me I'm not supposed to be with this guy. Yeah. Well, I mean, l- let's talk about the first group of murders that he did, which was the three guys in a subway. As much as you just hated those guys, because I mean, we've all... Oh, they are complete D-bags. Yeah, oh, my com- God. Complete. And then they and then they just start beating up on him. You know, total dirtbag kind of thing to do, right? Yes. But... And, and, and even the first time he shoots them, it's like, okay, that's self-defense. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yes, you shoot them. But when he when he hunts down that third guy... Goes after them. Well, when he goes after that third guy, that was the one, because, like, you know, he, he killed the two guys, and then the, he shot the, the third guy, and he's getting away, but then you see the, the blood just kind of draining out, you know, as he's stepping. Like, he's losing a good amount of blood. And then there's this whole thing about, you know, he's trying to, like, escape, and he's, like, trying to get off the subway, subway. at yeah. the same time, and, and it's just a thing, like, who's going to go first, and, you know, you know, he's, he's trying to he's, he's trying to trick Arthur into staying on the subway so that he can get away. But then, like, once they both get off, and he just tracks him down and hunts him, and, oh, man. <laughs> just And just, I mean, unloads. Just unloads. And, and that was, like, the way that whole thing was depicted did not feel cheap at all. Like, you mm-hmm. felt, you felt that something really awful and bad just happened. That's how I was feeling. That's how I felt. As, I mean, as much as I hated what these guys were doing. I was like, yeah, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a pretty awful thing that Arthur was doing. Right. And then where it just led to that bathroom scene afterwards, it, just that, that whole sequence right there. And when he found his serenity after what he did. Yeah. With that score. Oh my goodness. That score. That score. Score. The score. Hilder Gudna daughter, if I say her name right. The score throughout this entire thing is just so memorable. Amazing. Memorable, amazing, fitting, powerful. It, it's 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 a completely additional character in this film. Yeah, thank you. You took the words right out of my mouth. I mean, the the the, the music is a character. The music is just another element. You cannot imagine this movie without that score. No. And I am a little peeved right now that I cannot own a physical copy of the score. It is only available in vinyl and as a digital download. Yeah, I listened to it on the way home last night. I didn't I, I didn't get it on Apple Music until after I got home and then I listened to about half of it before I went to bed. Yeah. But, because oh, I love the cello. I, 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 I'm a huge fan of the cello and this movie speaks to me. It does. And I want an actual disc copy. <laughs> I do. I really, really do. Yeah. I mean, I don't need to have that, but like listening to the score in this film, remember how we felt when Hans Zimmer did that very uncomfortable, uh, what, what would you even call it? Just like a that that shepherd's tone noise that he did with uh, The Dark Knight for Joker. Oh, God, yes. And, and that was just like, that was so fitting, especially with the depiction of Joker in that film. But I couldn't imagine any other soundtrack than what we 
got in this film because it just set the mood. Like every single time you'd hear that thing and it, and you just hear it all throughout. It was, to me, it was like really setting the tone and the mood and the feel of this film. It was amazing. I will admit after list, after hearing the score, I can understand how she was able to write, just write on the, script. the score just on the script. Yeah. Because it was much more of a, it was more of a motif for the character right. than it was I'm scoring what's happening on screen. Yeah. Because that bat if if I remember what we read about that bathroom scene we keep on alluding to, he's doing that dance, meditation, whatever you want to call that. He's doing that. Joaquin is doing that while listening to that score. And in fact, that dance was not even part of the script. He was just feeling it during that scene and that's where that came from. Like that that was not a planned thing. Oh, no. And you can tell it's not like you're watching it knowing you don't script this. No. This is something that happens yeah. in a movie. And that is what made this movie so incredible. Is there were so many moments where you just go, this is something that just happens. Yeah. And it has been, I don't know how long since I've seen a movie like that, especially in theaters. Right. Yeah. I, I yeah I, I don't know that I can think of one offhand right now because it, it's been so long there's there's so few and far between yes I, I think the close I mean the only thing that keeps on coming to my mind is like Scorsese's movie silence like that was the last time I I, I remember having a feeling of like what am I watching mm-hmm. yeah right oh so powerful um let's talk about so obviously the the one big supposed revelation in here is that his mother had some type of relationship some type of an affair with Thomas Wayne. See, I don't even see that's another thing. But even is even that true? Well, no, that's what I'm saying. Like th- that's the supposed revelation. Okay, so you just start off with supposed, but that's that's the beauty of the movie is like I don't know. Well, that's that's the thing because there's so much doubt put throughout the rest of this film because there's there's a bunch of things that you know become pretty obvious after after a few scenes you realize like uh Arthur's relationship with Zazzy Beats character like the majority of that stuff seemingly never happened and it's just in his mind no they pretty much they they they, they make it pretty clear that none of it happened well so i i don't know that it's none i feel like all the I think the elevator ride was the elevator ride was real. I, I that's exactly right. So I think I feel like the elevator ride was we, real. But that's what started the psychosis. Uh, like that's what put the idea in his head. It put yeah. I think he really did follow her. Yes, and then and then that led to like well she was flattered by the following and came and went and talked to him and then it led and then it led to a date. Like that's all that's all hallucination. That's all yeah that's all in his head. And then the scene in the end where he enters into. Her her apartment while she's putting her daughter to bed. Yeah, that's that's real. like to me that one's that one's seemingly real. I think I, I thought that was real because I loved that that happened because I was about ready to really come on here and have a have a gripe about how unrealistic and fast I thought that relationship was between <laughs> him and her. Right. But as soon as that moment, I'm gonna be honest. As soon as he walked into her apartment, I knew. As soon as he walked into her apartment, I was like, "That's no, no, that's not real." Like, like that was the the way he was reacting. The, the the way it was so slow, and he was touching the kids' pictures. I was like, right, this is all bad. Yeah. And then as soon as you get her reaction, your name's Arthur, isn't it? I, 
and there were some audible gasps in my crowd, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I went, one, nailed it. Two, good, Mm -hmm. because I was very disturbed (laughs) by the way that relationship progressed throughout the film. So perfect that it progressed that way because it was a fantasy. So I don't know. uh, So, like, my experience is a little bit different. Like, I, after the second or third scene with him and her, I came to the conclusion that it was not real. Like, all that stuff was kind of, like, fantasy in his mind. And so, like, when it came to that final scene where he entered into his apartment, like, I was I was completely there. Like, I I was expecting that that's, that was a, a real moment at that moment. And and so, like, so I, I kind of wish I would have had that. Like, oh, my gosh, you know, this was a twist. I, I guess I wasn't feeling it. Well, okay, but, when, but for me, I felt it when he opened the door to the apartment. Yeah. Like, the way he walked into the apartment, I was like, yeah. Mm. Like, I haven't been inside here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I figured I figured that out. What got me was the people that didn't figure it out until she said, your name's Arthur, isn't it? Yeah. Like, that. those are the people that I was just like, welcome to, glad you got here. Thank you. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for showing up. <laughs> Thank you for coming to the party. Uh, is it time to talk about what we think happened? Yes. I think this is the perfect time to talk about what we think okay, happened. Okay, right. I think they're dead. I do. I, I think they are as well. And that is what, one, I'm glad they don't actually show you. I'm uh-huh. glad they leave it up because that is a disturbing thought because I'm sure he killed that poor woman and her daughter. See, I, I don't, I, I think he may have left the daughter alone. I, I don't know. I mean, at this point, you, you don't know for sure. But the fact that, that, the, the fact that, the fact that you never see the two of them again Well, here, for here, the rest of the movie. But here's, here's the thing though. Every person he killed that we saw were people that wronged him. So it was. But how did she wrong him? That's my because, point. Because in his mind, she never, like she basically. Never gave him the time of day. Never gave, never gave him a chance. Even, even though like, even as unfair as that would be, because I mean, you know, like and she didn't do anything wrong. No, she didn't. Like, she was just, she was just there. But in his mind, he was inventing this little fantasy and then like giving him all this love and affection and fulfillment. And then, and then when reality set in that none of that was real, that, so then that anger would have come out towards her. That's the way I see it. And well, and, and so, the, and so I'm sorry. And so then the kid would have had nothing to do with that. Right. I know. But still the fact that we never see them again. And you know, the one person you see him let go really was the, um, was the, the little person. Yeah. And who didn't see that coming? Like when he latched that. Oh, no, no, no. I saw that. Oh, the no, door. No, yeah. Yeah. I knew. <laughs> as soon as he latched it, I'm like, I'm like, oh, like that guy is never going to be able to get out. <laughs> no. Cause he, cause even when he said, okay, you can go in my mind, I'm going, but, but you latched the hotel lock. He's not going to be able to get out. And then it happened. I was like, good. I'm like, I was like, don't let there be a continuity error. Yeah. You, you, you bolted that. No. Yeah, he's not going to be able to get out. No. No. There was a continuity error in here, though. Uh, well, I don't, I, I don't care. I didn't see it. I don't care. But uh, but going back to Zazie Beats and the daughter, um, yeah. I also I was also disturbed because what came right before that was when he goes to Arkham and he, and he gets his mom's file. Right. That felt unfortunately so real. Like, I'm, I'm unfortunately very aware of situations like is described in that file. Mm-hmm. All right. And I, I also felt like not only... I, I, I feel like he was projecting his mother onto Zazie Beetz's character as well. I, I felt like that was part of what, in his in his deranged mind, possibly the f- possibly fed into that. Yeah. Because, I mean, because, yes, he, he actually does that. He go, he does go and actually kill his mom. Right. And that's and that's out of, like, anger at her for lying to him all these years, basically. Right. So, like, like all, like, he was wronged. Like, it, again, I take it, I, I it goes back 
back to everybody that wronged him. You know, obviously, uh, you know, Murray, you know, Robert De Niro's character wronged him. Right. Because of what he did. He took advantage of him. And by the way, didn't that whole thing just make you think of the Harvey P. Carr thing? Oh, abs- absolutely. <laughs> what David Letterman did to Harvey P. Carr. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, and, I, and I, once again, I'm so glad I also watched The King of Comedy. Yes. Before seeing this movie. <laughs> yeah. But a- absolutely. The Harvey P. Carr, David Letterman, this reference to American Splendor for anyone who hasn't listened to our yes. Squat, who on Patreon hasn't listened to our Squawcast Media review, uh, uh, Squawcast Movies review of that film. Uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Definitely a Harvey P. Carr, David Letterman situation right. there. Oh, man. So we've talked about all the people that Arthur has killed on screen because he, he took out the guy who basically got him in all that trouble anyway, the, the guy he used to work with, one of the fellow clowns, yes. because he kind of turned on him. He's one that, you know, that guy gave him the gun, which kind of started all this. But then he also ratted him out and said and said the gun was his. Like, he also made up a BS story. Yeah, like he was trying to buy it from him. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that was a guy that had wronged him. And then, so we've talked about Zazie Beetz and her daughter. We don't know what happened there. Um, the final scene, and we don't need to talk entirely about the final scene, but when he's with the, you know, the psychologist, you don't see anything that really happens there, like beyond. This whole... That actually would make it eight, wouldn't it? If, if, if he killed her. Yeah. If he killed if her, he that did. would make it. If he did. It, it's And it's it's only implied because he's walking down the hall and he's got blood, blood on, on the bottom, the bottom of his shoes. Yeah. So when I first saw that, I was thinking, okay, are they just trying to be symbolic here? Symbolize. Yeah, to symbolize blood on his, you know, he's basically covered in blood. Right, yeah. But then I'm like, oh, are they implying that he killed her? <laughs> I thought they were implying that, they, that he killed her. Yeah. Uh, that's because then when he starts kind of running away, then the, the end of the scene where he's being chased by the orderly, which got some laughs from some people that I just want to go, you people are, you know, you know, while, you know, didn't That's Life start playing again? It did. At, yeah. that, at that moment. Yeah. Um, I will admit that being the huge Frank Sinatra fan I am, this movie, like, totally, like, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but, oh, there were so many moments they're just like, hi, Frank. Yeah. Nice, nice, nice to see you again. Like, it just, it just, it hit my buttons. Right. But, yeah, because I was trying to think, like, did she do, how did she wrong him, or did she remind him a little bit of his old, his, his social worker? I just. Who never wronged oh. him. I mean, I don't think he ever implied that she was wronging him, other than not really listening. Uh, well, see, so, so if, if, um, if he did kill her at the end, which is, I guess it's possibly implied, if you're going to believe, you know, what you're seeing is real. Which is a whole question that most of the movie is what it is. Which is a whole question throughout this I'm movie. Seeing real. I want to talk about another thing. The end of the movie almost kind of makes me think about. So okay. um, w- w- finish your point, and I'm going to get to my point. So my point on that one is like, I, I don't know what she would have done to have wronged him. Because if you kind of fit the pattern, like the people that he, he went after and killed, they were people that wronged him. And that's one that I did, don't know if that really fits that pattern. Oh, or is he so gone by the end of the movie that does he even need that justification? Right, right. Uh, the the thought that I had at the end of the movie when she says, uh, what are you laughing about, Arthur? Yeah. Or, and he goes, and then you see that scene of Bruce standing in the alley with his dead parents. He goes, it's just a joke. You wouldn't you probably w- You wouldn't get it. And there's almost like a part of me that was like, are they going to like show like a Batman comic book and be like, Arthur like isn't really the Joker, but he's like, that's his all like the entire idea of him being the Joker, like the entire movie we just watched is like some kind of delusion. Like, has he been in like Arkham or in an, or in an asylum like this entire time? Like, <laughs> right. there was part of me that's that actually questioned: is the entire movie a delusion? You know, yeah. there was, a, and I, and I don't think it, the movie goes that far, but it, it could. It, it psyched me enough that I'm watching the end of this movie going, 
was anything that I just watched? Yeah. Or was all of it a delusion? Has he been in this institution the entire time? Well, okay, so that's the thing. Now, earlier when he was talking to the the first uh, uh, the, the per- first person that was helping him, like the psychologist that was helping him. The social worker. The social worker, yeah. thank you, uh, earlier in the film. Uh, it was implied that he had been institutionalized earlier in No, they life. said he was in- institutionalized. But yeah, they, yeah, they said he was, and, and it showed him in kind of like this padded cell kind of, you know, room of some sort, banging his head on the window. Like in an observation room or yeah. something, yeah. So that made me think, okay, wait a minute. So was that the same room or institution that he was in at the end? And then, like, if you say that that is the case, I mean, was this entire film, as you said, was this entire film all in his head? Uh, I don't think that's the case. I don't think it's the case no. either, but the movie made me think it for a, <laughs> it for a sure split did. second. It sure did. And I think that's the beauty of the film, is that whether I think it is or not, it's at least got me wondering. Okay. And I enjoy the wondering. I do too. Like, I do too. I don't I don't need it to be definitively yes, but if you make me think it, I'm gonna have fun. Right. I'm gonna have fun spitballing about it for a while. Okay, so I'm gonna put you on a spot here. Okay. Uh so what do you think is real and what do you think is not? Or just tell me what you don't think is real. Okay. Based on um, what your feeling is at this moment, knowing that, you know, with a second viewing, third viewing, you may completely change your mind. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Right now. Obviously, it's clear that all of the intimate relationship stuff was as he beats character, complete hallucination. That's in Arthur's head. I do not believe that Penny actually had a relationship with Thomas Wayne. I believe that she is probably someone who suffers from a type of, I don't know, I, I, I don't want to throw out psychological terms because I am not a psychiatrist. I am not a psychologist. I've never read the DS, the DSM-5. You know, I, I, I don't want to do that. But obviously, his mother was a delusional, mentally ill person who hallucinated the idea of a of a personal connection with Thomas Wayne because it, that's established. She worked for them. Like, right. I mean, Alfred knows, Thomas knows. Like, she did work for the Waynes. Uh, it's documented that Arthur was adopted. That that That's in the file. And I believe yes. that because especially the way that that administrative assistant reacts when he opens up her file in Arkham. Unless, you know, to, to be conspiratorial here, that Thomas Wayne would have paid off somebody to forge it as that and make it look like that was the case, which is which is a bit far-fetched. Which I don't believe that at all. I, I could see people thinking that. Okay, so I right. think you and I are on the same page with this, for sure. So there is, there is that. But that end scene, because at the end of the movie, when he is like the hero of the riots, when, when he is the king of Gotham, standing on the top of that cop car, and then it just cuts to he's in that institution. Do we think it's Arkham? Do we just think it's another institution? You know, is this whole Gotham thing real? You know, it's right. like <laughs> I, I don't know because there's that jump and it's making me seriously question what I just watched. Yeah, I'm going to say within the world of the Joker story in Gotham, if we're discounting that final scene in the white rooms, you know, the white scene, as I'm going to call it, I'm going to say the Zazie Beat stuff was a hallucination. Penny never had a relationship with Thomas Wayne and what he read in her file at Arkham is the objective truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm 
I'm mostly there with you. So I feel like, um, you know, obviously there was one in the beginning where he was kind of fantasizing that he was in the audience at the on the Murray show, which we knew that was clearly yeah. fantasy. So so yeah. so so this is where I started to kind of formulate my pattern here. When when there were scenes where people were being nice to him and kind of adoring him and and giving him that like that human connection that he was longing for. Oh, that was that was all in that his was head. all in his head. So that so there was that scene. There were those interactions with Zazie Beetz's character. Um, there it, it may have even been um, like in that uh, uh, in the apartment scene when he was in his apartment when the two guys that he used to work with come o- came over. I think it's entirely possible that it was just the one guy that had come over. See, no, I believe it was both guys. I really. I, I, you know, I, and let me explain myself. So the, the only reason I think it is possible that the other guy wasn't there is because you know for one he was it was a it was a guy that was being nice to him and he may have just kind of like fantasized that reaction but also like once that guy was out of there like he knew he was going to be on that on that talk show that night like like I felt like the police would have been there but they to go intercept him but they were but I felt like but they the police chased him because he was on his way to the Murray show they didn't know where he was going right they didn't know where he was going no one knew where he was going because at that point the only people who knew he was on the Murray Franklin show was the Murray Franklin show and him no no because he told he told the um the the one guy the short guy that he was going to be on the show right but i i i would fully buy that that guy once he got out it was like got the heck out of dodge or you know i mean wasn't going to run to the cop I, I feel like he knew to go there because you gotta think as soon as he runs out it just it, it it's a straight a to b of Arthur's on his way to the show. The two cops come after him. He evades them. They get critically injured and then he's and then he's safely ensconced at the studio and by the time those two cops got the got the crap beat out of them by the by the mob it's not like they're gonna be able to report where the suspect was going or you know who the suspect was all we know is that we got two guys in critical condition yeah yeah i don't know so I, i'm just throwing it out there as like it, it is possible that you know that was a mixed uh incident part real part uh fantasy it's probably likely that they're both there because I, I think the scene works better if they're actually both there but uh so anyway so that that's kind of where i i kind of feel like the the thing that separates fantasy from reality the most the whole thing at the end where um these guys that just kind of started kind of following him and are the ones that like the guy that got into the um in the emergency vehicle struck the police car freedom all that was like fake because these were all people that were um that were being nice to him yeah okay yes yes yes, yes. Yep. yes so basically the point is he got arrested and that sort of hero idol moment never happened. Never happened. And when he yep. it never happened, and he got arrested, and he went straight to Arkham. Right straight to Arkham. So like the at at the Murray. What was the Murray? What's his first name? Murray is his first name. Frank Murray Franklin's Franklin. His last yeah, name. Yeah, thank you. Um, I keep saying Murray show. The Murray Franklin show. At the Murray Franklin show, when he killed Murray Franklin, and he sat back down, and he went up to the camera. I mean, I, I'm just assuming at that point he was really re- arrested. And and here's the other reason. And I actually had somebody reach out to me and tell me this uh langston he had said this and and it was exactly where my head was at when right after that scene when he killed uh murray franklin it goes to the police car where he's in it and he's looking out and he's seeing like all this stuff that like you know like all the people that were just kind of creating this havoc and and he was like like he was having like a good moment in his head like all that was fake and the reason being is because if the the soundtrack what actually jumps in at that time is 
the song by Cream, White Room. Mm-hmm. And when you know White Room comes in, like that's basically implying that he's like in that White Room at that moment. Ah. So like, so none of that was real. So were the Waynes even killed? Yeah, I mean, he could just be. Well, okay, so the Wayne, like, if we're gonna believe that this is truly in the Batman mythos, you know, the Waynes were killed and Bruce Wayne did survive. And the only reason he would even know that is if he, well, let's see, like he, like he wouldn't make that up in his head is basically what I'm saying. So it, it had to have been a real event. But then, but, but when he's got the, but when he's got the joke, you wouldn't understand. He's thinking about Bruce by himself in the alley with Thomas and Martha dead. And there's no reason for him to know that. Unless it was like a, a real event that had, I mean, this is a guy that was running for mayor. So like this would have clearly been in the news. But he's already locked up by this point. But that doesn't mean he's not seeing news or hearing news. Uh, I, I, see, that gets into my whole theory. Like, if that point on is fake, I, I, I'm saying you can't say it isn't. We can't definitively say one way or the other. I'm saying yeah. you have to entertain the possibility that the death of the Waynes is part of his fantasy. Uh, but I, what I'm saying is I think the death of the Waynes could truly have been a real event that happened, but all the other elements involving him personally were just all fantasy in his head. Right. But I'm saying yes, or you can also imagine that everything, every, everything from the point that it goes black and we get that cool shot with all the TV monitors, mm-hmm. everything in there is that whole section of the movie is a, is a hallucination. Yeah. I don't know. I think, I think you have to, you have to at least entertain the possibility. Yeah, I think you do. And this is, and like we said, like we've seen this. That's the beauty of this, <laughs> this movie. Is the beauty of it. We, we don't even have to agree on this and neither one of us is right or wrong because the movie leaves it up to interpretation. I think you're going to think, I think you're doing yourself in the movie a disservice if you just per- take what's presented in front of you and think that it's just objective fact. Yeah. Here's the other thing uh, I wasn't entirely sure of. Uh, when okay. it came to Arthur smoking, it seemed like after he committed these murders, he always like lit up with a cigarette afterwards. Mm-hmm. So yes. he did that. He did that after the three subway guys. Uh, he did it after. Did he do it with his mother? I can't remember if he did or not. He was smoking so much in this movie. But it, he was smoking. But that's the other thing. Like he was sometimes smoking before. I'm like, well, maybe that doesn't totally fit <laughs> because he, you know, after the whole thing in Zazie Beat's apartment, when he came back to his apartment, he was smoking there as well. But he was just always smoking. Yeah, that's the <laughs> that's thing. thing. So th- he's always that, that's the one thing. I, I'm not entirely sure that there are these secret, hidden, embedded clues in this film. I'm not sure that they went to that extent to try to plant like seeds to the real reality of what they, of, of what they were trying to say was the actual reality and the, the actual story of this thing. This might be that ambiguous and purposely left that ambiguous that we may never be able to like really piece this together. All I know is I want a freaking director's commentary when this thing comes out. <laughs> Absolutely. I yes. want Todd Phillips. <laughs> Todd Phillips. Tom Phillips commentary. Todd Phillips, we want your commentary. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, man. But I think, but once again, Tim, I, that's, oh my goodness, how to say this. This is what grown-up movies are, that the two of us are sitting here having ideas, disagreeing with each other, but neither one of us is can objectively be right or wrong in some of this. Yeah. And we have to entertain the possibility of this, and which is why I just want to go watch it again. Yeah. And I don't think I'm ever going to, and some of these I don't think we're ever actually going to know the answer. Yeah. Unless Todd Phillips definitively tells us. This is going to be one of these films, and we have 
we all have these films, at least us that like films for these kinds of reasons. We have these kind of films that last with us a long time. And I and I've talked about it before. Like 2001 Space Odyssey is one for me. Like that Blade film, Runner. Blade Runner is one. Um, I would say Batman v Superman is one. This film is definitely one. This is going to hang with me a long time. And and I I, I and I already know I'm going to be thinking about this film often. <laughs> like I said, I I I I'm I'm looking at my schedule going when when can I see? I'm it? seeing it again tomorrow. I want to. Oh, I wish I could. Yeah, I'm seeing it with Jamie. I wish I could. Um, I w- I do want to say this. I, I do want to take up to this is worth seeing in IMAX. It does take up the entire screen. You don't get the bars. It is a true like it. It is the full screen in front of your face. Yeah. Like and and you want to see every freaking ash <laughs> dripping off that man's cigarette. Right. I mean it it's it's like that. It's like I want all of this because it's almost like I need that kind of clarity to look for these freaking clues. Yeah. It's like watching a. It, it, this is like watching movies by directors like Kubrick or like Cronenberg or Nolan or yeah. you know the, these these directors. I mean, it's weird because it, you and you can't pigeonhole this guy because it's like <laughs> this is also the guy who did the Hangover trilogy. Yeah, it's it's like I didn't know the guy had this in him. Yeah, I'm gonna be honest. Well, and and we but we've been pretty consistent with that on this show. When we've talked about other people coming over, like you know, I'm gonna I'm not gonna make any judgment on their past work because let's face it a lot of people get into this business of filmmaking whatever way they can and if that's by making horror films if that's their path to get into the to the business that's what they're going to do it all comes down to are they able to tell a story and let's face it even with the hangover and and i've actually never seen the third one the second one wasn't that great but the first one was really good no the first one is the only one i've seen and i love it yeah there's actually the tor- the story in that is told very well it's told very well yeah. and, and it's and i love the whole it's a mystery because you're trying to piece the night back together. Yeah, it's paced very well. So that that's the thing. If if somebody just has that natural ability to kind of like see through that. And remember, Todd Phillips even talked about this thing. He said that originally the cut of this film was about two hours and 35 minutes. And he said as he was going back looking through it, he was able to, on his own work, realize that this doesn't belong. And this is, you know, this is messing with the pacing. And he cut that thing down. And I'm going to be, I'm going to tell you, th- this is a nice tight two hours and two minutes with credits and I, I think it's just right. I think so, yeah. I, I will love seeing some of these other scenes just because if there's more Joaquin Phoenix out there, performance that I could just watch, I want to watch it. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But but for the film right now, if, if Todd Phillips, is, if we're getting if we're getting the, the real skinny, I, I think this is, this was, this was the right editing choice to make it this cut. Yeah. Because I, I think it was just good because I feel like if it had gone on any longer, I feel like it would have, I mean, I can only be uncomfortable for so long <laughs> yeah oh it was such a it was such an edge of your seat film because it, like you had mentioned earlier in this review when you felt like something was going to happen and then it didn't oh that just does such a good job of just really building up the tension right because you're like that just means it's going to happen it's just going <laughs> to happen later you're just kicking the can down the road man yeah <laughs> and I, I i just need to see this movie i need to see this movie on repeat i i, I need i need the release of this movie now yeah. Were there any other scenes we want to talk about here? Um, the real uncomfortable uh, interaction between him and Bruce Wayne. Oh, I was so glad when Alfred stepped in. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. And Alfred like knew who the person was. Uh, oh, man. That that was so uncomfortable. You weren't I, sure I was what just, was going to happen. Didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, happen. you knew he wasn't going to kill him, but... But at the time when he was thinking that this was like his half-brother, yeah. it was like... Uh. And, and, and by the way, that totally 
fool um, members of my audience. Oh, really? really cause, oh, oh, yeah. They they when that whole revelation happened, like when he reads the letter that his mom was writing to Thomas Wayne. Yeah, I heard people like audibly, physically reacting to the idea that this movie was actually going to make yeah. Batman and the Joker like half brothers. Yeah. Oh, you know, just how much are we going to be pouring over all these letters and the the case file? <laughs> you know, once we get the home release. Oh, you better believe I'm going to hit the freaking pause button. <laughs> You're hitting pause, reading every little thing. Arthur's journal. His journal, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because you know there's stuff in there. Um, I did catch one great DC Easter egg in the movie. Uh, there was a subway scene. I don't remember which one. I think it's when he is... I, I think it's when he's uh, stalking Zezzy Beat's character. But as he's getting off the subway station, it says Robinson Park. Oh, yeah. I remember that. I saw that, and I was yeah. like... Because, I mean, we saw the subway map that they had that, you know, you never actually got to see. Um, which had Otisburg. <laughs> which had Otisburg. Yes. Uh, call back to Superman the movie. And and and, and Nolan and Snyder. And right. <laughs> all kinds of... But the fact that the one you actually get to retain is Robinson Park. And then at the very end, at the very end of the credits, the very end, it says Joker created by Bob Kane, Bill Finger, and Jerry Robinson. Yeah. With special thanks to, and they mentioned Brian Bolin, yeah. who, of course, was the artist for the Killing Joke and J.M. Demitis and there were a couple other people that those are the two that stuck out to me in the in the special thanks but there were a couple more yeah because I sat through the credits I, I knew for I knew there was an in credit scene that's not why I was sitting through the credits I was sitting through the credits because one I wanted to finish listening to Sin in the Clowns by Frank Sinatra I wanted to listen to more of Hildor's score yeah and this is a movie that I wanted to read the names yeah I wanted to read the names of all the people who were involved yeah yeah <sighs> This is such a good film. My gosh. Such a good movie. Oh, man. Oh, I needed, I needed this, I needed um, this type of mature film in my life. I did too. You know, and this is the thing too, because let's be real, what Todd Phillips did with this film, in all honesty, is is essentially what Zack Snyder was trying to do with his two films. And and it's essentially what David Ayer was trying to do with his film before the tone shift happened Mm -hmm. with Suicide Squad. These are very mature films. They're trying to put these characters in, in in very tough situations where it's you know it, it's a lot of shades of gray which to me always makes a very interesting characterization a very interesting film I want I want people to be put into situations like that and I, I just kind of feel like if this film does so well I just hope Warner Brothers continues on down this path and just continues to take some daring steps with some of these properties I think what helped this film was that they did a very good job of communicating that this was an Elseworlds film like they made it clear this is not a cinematic you know I think the whole concept of a cinematic universe makes people think, well, then this is their d- definitive version of the character. Yeah. And they did such a great job of communicating this is our version of a story right. with the character. And anyone who's not interested in that can just stay home. <laughs> yeah. And I think and I we we I think this is a great opportunity to mention uh there was a variety article that got posted today that I shared with Tim right before we start recording that this movie now holds the October record for Thursday night box office. Right. It, it made $13.3 million domestically on its Thursday preview night. Most screenings having three previews per screen because you had like a four, seven, and a ten. Uh, and this beat the previous record holder, which was Venom from last year that made $10 million on its Thursday. And just for 
comparison, I mean, Venom was a PG-13, very much a traditional comic book action-adventure movie, and, and and Venom ended up doing like $80 million its opening weekend domestically. Yeah. So, And then the other thing, too, uh, the last tracking I just saw is they're now saying they're expecting this to go above $90 million for the opening weekend domestically. For an R-rated yeah. movie. An R-rated drama film. I mean, there's been other R-rated films that have done better. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. But, I mean, it just kind of shows you the power of this thing. And I hope this, you know, because of the success of this, I hope the suggestion that Todd Phillips had to Warner Brothers to possibly do a label, you know, like a like a sub brand of DC films where you could do these kinds of, you know, non-connected films. I, I hope I hope they go, OK, let's let's talk now, Todd. What other ideas do you have in mind? Because I just w- I want to see I want to see more things like this. Yeah. And, and and I hope I hope they learn their lesson about just finally blocking out all the BS noise. Yeah, because it. I, I, I feel like this is a uh, you know we're here at the end of the review, but I feel like it's a great point to bring up that this thing went gangbusters at Venice, yeah, gangbusters at Toronto, and then this narrative started that really started to stir the pot with controversy, and then suddenly other critics started like tearing this film down, and yet no, yet it goes and sets a record. An R-rated movie goes and sets an October Thursday night preview record, right, and. And it's it it's it's a fantastic film. Yeah, it's a fantastic film. And I, I, I and and it's like this is the movie that I was hearing about when people were talking about it at Venice and Toronto. Yeah, this isn't the movie that people have been that that the 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 noise has been made about in like the past week in the past two weeks. Right. No, not at all. Th- that that movie that they were talking about was like some fantasy they invented in their head. That's <laughs> not the movie that I watched last. Night. The movie I watched last night was the movie that the buzz we were hearing from Venice and Toronto. Yeah. No, this 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 matches that buzz of what we were hearing from Tiff and from Venice. Absolutely. <sighs> do you want to rate this film, or do we save that just for Squadcast movies? No, I have it rated. You do have it rated. I do have it rated. Do you want to reveal it? It might be hyperbolic right now because I, I you know, on Squadcast movies, you know, we'll do all those little decimals. Yeah. In in, in between five stars, five being the highest. Five stars. Five, five, five. Like this, this is a five for me this is a five this, for you this is a five for okay me. right after after a, this is my gut reaction after after seeing it one time i mean and, and if all i'm doing is like everything like on a half mark like if i'm doing like four or five and like if i'm not going to try to parse it out the way we do in Squawkast movies if i'm just going clean cut you know whole numbers are half numbers i'm just round i'm rounding this thing up to a five man it's gonna be hard to argue with you on that because so here's the deal like to me i've always kind of like taken a position there's no such thing as a perfect five, but my God, this thing gets close. If if you were to ask me what are the things that I had issues with in this film, I only have two very minor things. And what are they, by the way? I don't think you ever brought them. No, I, I don't think you brought them up. No, and, and and when I say they're minor, I'm like, trust me, these things are pretty minor. For one, and this is hardly a criticism, but like I would have loved to have seen a little bit more tension, uncomfortable tension built up in that conversation between Arthur and and Murray Franklin on you know during that live uh, broadcast 
I don't know because it was already so uncomfortable. Anyway. It was, it was. But no, I'm just talking. No, I'm just taking. This is the one thing that, like, if they would have just amped that up a little bit more, it, to me, it would have made that scene even more powerful. That was one. Um, the second one that I had was uh, when they showed the Wayne's murder. I liked it when they were just implying that it was going to happen because we all knew. Yeah. Oh no. Oh, okay. Thank. We you. all knew that yeah. was going to happen. We know. Okay. Thank you. I. I was. I was about to say that. Okay. I. I when when they showed them walking down the alley and you saw the one guy kind of turn a corner to me that's all i needed that's all i needed that's all i okay. needed i agree with you entirely okay i agree with you entirely about that now i might forgive it now that we've had the conversation if we're willing to entertain the possibility that that's all made up in arthur's head and so we're seeing arthur's hallucination of that moment but they could they right but they could have just shown you know in the white room they could have just shown young bruce with the two bodies down by his feet you know what i mean they could have just done it just like that they didn't need to show no i i agree with you they didn't need to show the death of the way no they didn't no, i agree with you that's the only thing that that's the one thing like to me that was like the number one thing that i if if i had any say that felt like fan service that felt like fan service but i don't even think they need to we've we've seen that happen in so many films seen the wayne's die yes yes people know yeah i agree with you i my preference is exactly what you just said yeah watch the clown turn the thing and then the next thing we get is that scene of bruce standing there by himself in arthur's head right when he says you wouldn't get the joke right like i i thought that last night night and I almost want to hit you for taking away my ability to say that because I was I mean you and I are we are on the, we are simpatico we we are in the exact same place with that so I wouldn't even call that one of your little nitpicks no I'm there with you okay but that's what keeps me from making it a perfect five or those couple minor things I, but but see I don't think but I but I guess the difference is when I call something a five it doesn't have to be quote perfect for me to give it a five no I know I know no I believe me I I understand your point of view on this. I'm just saying, like, so, okay, you gave it a five. I'm going to give you my rating, 4.9. Like, it is an almost absolutely perfect film. And see, and, and I would almost argue that's just you splitting hairs at this point. It is. It is. <laughs> I mean, we're point one points away from each other. I mean, that, that's how close. I mean, this is such a good film. Such a good movie. It is such a good movie. And I, I just... Mm. And the problem about about me telling people what such a good movie it is is I have to be really careful who I tell that to. I know. I, I was doing that today at work. I was. I can't <laughs> recommend this to just anybody. No. No, you can't. How can I say... It's like, how can I say this is a fantastic film, but you shouldn't watch it? You wouldn't understand it. You wouldn't get it. Yeah. I, it, it, it's that condescendingness that I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to do you a favor. You're not going to like it. Or I can see someone go, no, you need to get your ass to the theater. <laughs> right. You need to go watch this movie now. <sighs> have, have you been getting a bunch of direct messages today from listeners? I, uh, I've gotten, I've gotten, I've probably gotten about seven or eight. I have not. Okay. I, I, I don't know why, uh, but. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I've had about seven or eight people reach out and every one of them was just giddy about this film. Right. Maybe they weren't sure if I'd seen it yet or not. Well, they, they should have known. They followed me. They, I, I tweeted that I was <laughs> there last night. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, maybe they just maybe they're just taking pity on me because they know how busy I am. I don't. Know. I don't know. No, but it's it's just funny. It's like we've just gotten such great feedback already, just from people that we know. 
Yeah, I've just been trying to. I have obvious, I have honestly been trying to avoid interactions with people because one, I don't want to see the obvious reactions from people who are just going to poo-poo the film because you know you shouldn't you shouldn't even bother worrying about this movie in the first place. You should know. I feel like this movie has been so uh, what we've heard about this film. You know whether this is you should know going into it whether this is a movie for you or not. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's a movie for me. It's a movie for you. It's it's absolutely a movie for me. It's a movie for several of our <laughs> friends and listeners of the podcast. I mean, let's face it. The whole purpose of this show had a pretty unifying idea behind it. And and that idea is very much aligned with what this film produced. What this film is, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you're, you're, you're watching another movie that explains the existence of the Suicide Squadcast Network. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, man. I, I think that's it. I, th- I think we've pretty much wrapped it up, unless you have anything else to say. But we gave our ratings, and I feel yeah. like at this point... We don't normally we're just do that. Kind of, yeah. We're just kind of circling the drain here because we're just, we are gaga over this movie. Yeah, we are. So I, I would say this. We are probably going to be talking, we will be talking about this film some more. I don't know if we'll do it on our regular weekly show, but I guarantee there's probably going to be some Patreon discussions about this. I, I want <laughs> I want to talk to other people. And then, like, I want, I, I, want to, I want to talk to Ray. I want to talk yeah, to Chris. Right. <laughs> I was like, what do you guys think? Yeah. So uh, there will be some of that. So, so if you're a patron, you'll be getting some other conversations. I am sure we don't have any schedule at this point, but like this is one of these things where people want to talk about this. <laughs> so hang tight. Okay. Well, guys, that is that's it. That's it. For th- that's it for this week's episode of the Suicide Squadcast. Our review of Joker. Yeah. Um. I we we hope you enjoyed it as much as we. That that is our sincere hope that you've just listened to the last hour of us gushing unapologetically <laughs> about this film yeah and hopefully you saw the runtime of this review and realized i bet scott and tim like this movie how long was kitchen's review 38 minutes 38 minutes okay 38 minutes yeah that told you everything you needed to know before you started listening to that review yes (laughs) and this one it's going to edit down but this thing's probably going to be north of an hour 15 yeah so we hope you've enjoyed it please reach out to us please write emails tweet at us dm me what are you what are you jokers (laughs) doing not talking to me why does tim get all the love and attention at this point i don't know basically you're you're basically like arthur fleck right now not getting love i (laughs) so i think we know who you're blowing up maybe (laughs) but guys isn't isn't this the movie we've been asking for it is isn't this the kind of movie where we can suddenly start talking debate and 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 gush yes haven't we been wanting this for so long reach out to us please share share the show find people it's been a it's been a while since we've said this but you know find help me find other people like you (laughs) and and share the show i feel like you we need we need to find others we need to find others like us yeah let us know that we are not alone (laughs) yes as general zod would say (laughs) so Uh thank you guys you know where to reach us you know how to contact us twitter at suicide Squadcast for the show's handle i can be reached individually at scott dc 27 yeah on twitter you can get me at alan fire you can email us at suicide squadcast at gmail.com please let us know what you think we want to hear from you and please somebody just direct message scott i don't want to be hearing about this next week you, you'll be hearing about it <laughs> you can yeah. find us on vero facebook we have a website suicide squadcast.com we have our patreon at patreon.com slash squadcast media we, we've already 
teased there will be follow there will be follow up that will be posted exclusively for our patrons. There will be more. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's it, Scott. I think it's time to call this one sadly to a close. And as we always like to remind all of you, go out and keep reading DC. See you guys. I mean, what are you talking about? What are you, what are you thinking? I mean, it's me. You, you've known me for four freaking years. Why, why, t- Tim, Tim's griped more about how busy he is <laughs> on his day than I have. And suddenly you're, you're DMing him like he has the time to answer you. <laughs> I mean. Somebody's a little butt hurt over here. I say that I am the enthusiastic one. Oh, here it comes. I was the one who who was born to bring joy and happiness to this world. <laughs> okay, happy.